you know, I was watching this movie, and it's probably the first time I've seen it in over a decade, and I got to tell you, over 10 years later, it is just as good as I remember. You know, it is, it is a classic film. A time, even, even with the, uh, the really bad special effects, <laughs> which we spared you for the most part, uh, it's still such a timeless film. And one of the one of the reasons I think is it's such an incredible redemptive story and such an incredible story of transformation, right? Because at the very beginning you you meet George McFly, and he's living kind of a sad reality, right? His marriage is in this really rough place. You didn't get to see it, but his wife is struggling to recall how she once felt about her husband. Her kids are going nowhere fast. You know he he sit, wastes his evenings sitting in front of the boob tube, eating peanut brittle for supper out of a bowl. And um, he just gets shoved around, you know, by Biff, who's his supervisor, does all this work for him, never stands up for himself. Um, and then we rewind the clock back, and we, we see him in high school, and it's like, oh, we get it. You know, it's like he's always been this guy, right? We see him in high school, he's getting kicked around. He's still doing all of Biff's work for him in high school, all of his homework. Right? He's, he, he loves to write, but he's too afraid to put any of his work out there, too afraid to, to ask a girl out. Uh, he's nervous about the plan, even though it's supposed to be all planned, you know, and scheduled. He doesn't even have to, you know, really exercise any courage, supposedly. And he just kind of goes through life, just kind of like this mopey, kind of sheepish kind of guy, right? But then through a series of circumstances, it's incredible. We get to actually see him, you know, go to this, what it would be a defining moment in his life, and he gets to rewrite his own story. And the story that he writes on the, on the second time through is so much better than the first one. Right, because the first one, he, his wife falls in love with him after her dad hits him with a car because he's a peeping Tom who fell out of a tree. And she feels bad for him. Like she, she thinks he's cute and kind of helpless, like a puppy. And that's how it starts. Right? But this time around, right, for the first time in his life, right, he stands up for himself. And, and he stands up to the bully who would take advantage of him otherwise and take advantage of her. And we get to see George you know, McFly, the coward, the bullied, the tentative, become George the hero. And everything changes from then. We didn't have time to show you the very end of the film, but if you see the very end of the film, you see that, that indeed history did change. And at the very end, like his kids are doing great, right? They're successful. The house is cleaned up. He and his wife are actually in love many years later. Uh, he finally had the courage to put that book out there, and he's a published author. And then the best part, the best part is Biff is not a supervisor in this different future. Biff is polishing his car, you know, and it's just like, man, that's good. Right now, now, we love stories like this, and there's going to be a lot of great future traveling stories that will continue to be written. But, you know, just to kind of maybe burst your bubble and spoil the surprise, chances are you and I are never going to have the chance to travel back in time in a DeLorean time machine. Probably not in the cards. You know, but I, I do think if, if you and I were honest and we could have coffee and just like, you know, get really honest, I think most of us would, would admit that, you know, if, if we're really honest, there have been moments perhaps even seasons of our life uh, that we would love to go back and do differently. You know, and maybe, maybe it was an opportunity that was missed. You know, or a time when you knew what the right decision was, but you just didn't have the courage to do the right thing. You know, or the call was yours, and you made the wrong one. You know, or there was this defining moment, and, and you didn't know it was going to be a defining moment, but it was, and you weren't ready for it, and you missed it. You made the wrong call, and, and you had to deal with the consequences. And maybe, just maybe, even this morning, today, you're still dealing with those conf- those, the, the consequences of your decision. And you, and you think, man, maybe if you could go back and do it differently, things would be different. Right? And maybe, just maybe, you would be different. You know, I, I, this week I was walking through Barnes & Noble and, and walking through Hy-Vee. And it's pretty amazing to me how much we talk about 
wanting to be different and live a different story. And I was walking through Hy-Vee, and there's the magazine section. It's amazing. You start just reading the titles of the cover stories, you know, not the, not the crap by the, you know, where you pay. I'm talking like the actual magazines. You know, and, and so much of it is like, you know, seven steps to a better you, you know, or three ways to accomplish your goals, right, or four ways to finally lose that weight. Right, we're obsessed with this. You, know, you go into Barnes and Noble and you just pay attention to what is constantly at the top of the bestsellers list, and over and over and over. Right, there are self-help books. Right, most of us, how many of us, just out of curiosity in the room, you kept, you made New Year's resolutions this year, and now six, seven months later, you've actually kept them. All right, there's a handful of you. Congratulations. Right, for most of us, it's not the case. Right, the vast majority of us, we won't keep them. 50% of, but the crazy thing is we'll still make them again in five months. You know what I mean? And the other 50% of us, I think, have just figured it out that most of the time it doesn't work. You know, Oprah has made a killing on this, by the way. And I'm not anti-Oprah. You know, we believe some very different things about Jesus um, and about God. Right, but she has just used her charm and her influence, I think, to tap into the universal desire for us to be a better version of ourselves. You know, to, to become a different different version, to get better, to grow. I think for many of us, we want to be different. We just don't know, just don't know how. Right? And so this morning, as we continue our series, I want, I want to look at a passage of Scripture that is, that is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And chances are, if you've been around like the church world, you've been around Mosaic for some time, you've heard this referenced before, maybe even taught on before, but it has some profound implications for those of us who are in Christ. And if you're in this, this space tonight or this morning, or you're listening to this, you know, at home or watching it online, um, you got to know that we're about to have an internal conversation as followers of Jesus. And so if you're here and you're just asking questions and you're not sure where you land on Jesus, uh, the cool thing is this morning is you just get to, to listen in and weigh this for yourself as we talk about what it means uh, to be a follower of Jesus and to be in Christ. And this, this is what Paul says, all right? This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. He says this. He says, at one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. Right, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become, not will become, not someday with a ton of work, right? not if you really put your mind to it, has already become a new person. Right? The old has gone and a new life has begun. Right? The NIV says we are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Right? Pretty, pretty simple but very profound truth is saying, look, you're already new. You may not realize it yet. You may not be living like it yet. This may be new information to you, but you've got to know that if you're in Christ, this isn't about just becoming new. You actually already are. Right now, if you've been around this, you've been doing this for some time, and you're anything like me, you read a verse like this, and, and you feel a little bit of tension, don't you? Right? Because there's some moments where you don't feel new, and you don't look new. You know, you have those moments where you're like, where did that come from? That is not new, Aaron. That's very much old, Aaron. You know, so like the other day we were driving around, example of my, my own life, driving around, pages in the back seat, driving through town, and somebody pulls right in front of me, cuts me off, hits the brakes. I've got to hit the brakes to avoid smashing into them. Does not make me very happy, okay? You got to know, that does not make me happy. But before I can say anything, little Paige, six years old, explodes from the back seat. She goes, oh, come on! You are a horrible driver! Right, Dad? <laughs> it's like hearing myself seven octaves higher. And I'm like, this is the legacy that I'm passing on to my daughter, you know? 
Like, can't wait till she gets behind the wheel, you know, geez. Right, but you have these moments where you're like, oh my goodness, new creation, huh? Mm-hmm, okay, yeah, I'm not seeing it. You know, moments where I, I, I lose my patience with Megan. You know, or, or moments when I, I, I just lose my cool to one of the kids. Right, or moments where we're golfing and all of a sudden I'm speaking in tongues. Right, mostly in the form of four-letter words, you know. Or I'm stressing about things that are completely out of my control as if I'm God refusing to trust him, or I just have a, find myself just with this horrible, crappy attitude, right? And it's like, okay, okay, Paul, new creation? <laughs> um, I, I'm, not, I'm not seeing it. Not right here, right here, not in this moment, not even in this entire season, maybe. Uh, it doesn't look like a new creation at all. Right, you ever been there? Now, and if you're anything like me, so you read like a verse like this, right, and there's a part of you that's like, okay, maybe Paul's not talking about people like me. Right? He's writing to first century church, right? That's when they had it all together. Maybe, maybe this, was, this was really talking about the people who really get it, you know, the people who, the exceptionally faithful, like the really spiritual people, the really disciplined people, not people who struggle with ongoing stuff like I do, right? And, and if you're tempted to think that, all right, we need to just take a, a little bit of a Zach Morris time out here, right, and take into consideration who he's writing to, all right, because this is from 2 Corinthians. This is a letter written to the church in Corinth. And anybody who has done any biblical study at all or you grew up in church, you know that the church in Corinth had a reputation. And it wasn't a good reputation. Um, Corinth was actually, I've heard it referred to many times, as the original sin city. Right? Plato would use the, the phrase Corinthian girl as a synonym for prostitute. Right? So as a dad, it's like, uh-uh, you're not going out of the house dressed like that, dressed like a Corinthian girl, right? Go change clothes, right? This is what it was. In fact, there's a couple of my favorite uh, studies, the sermon series through the book of Corinth. Um, one was by Darren Patrick, and the title was, this is through the Corinthian letters, uh, Following Jesus in a Jacked Up Church. And another one that I've seen recycled many times, like a lot of churches we steal from each other all the time. Um, but one, one series that I've seen over and over and over is, it's called Christians Gone Wild. Right? That is the study of Corinth. Right? Because the Corinthians, you read, if you ever want to get a picture of how much grace and patience it takes to pastor a church or for God to just not smite us all, just read like First and Second Corinthians. Right? Because Paul, over and over and over, he's like, would you guys stop sleeping with each other's spouses, please? For the love of Jesus, literally, stop. Right? Would you stop sleeping with each other's parents? It's gross. Stop. You know? Or, or he's literally, he's like, Knock it off with the orgies. That's enough. All right? Stop getting drunk all the time. Right? Stop being so prideful. Stop being so horrible to your leaders. Stop being so divisive. Stop being so sinful and so proud of being so sinful. You guys are messed up. Right? And so we read First and Second Corinthians. It's like these are a lot of brand new believers. They're just learning how to follow Jesus. Many of them are up to their eyeballs in sin. And Paul writes to this audience, this group, and he says, you guys don't get it. You aren't the same anymore, right? You have a new identity. You are new. And, and it's there. It's you. You just don't get it yet. You, you don't get who you are. Right? I, I shared this uh, once before, but it bears repeating because it's just part of my story. But, you know, for most of my life, uh, I was convinced that I was German, of German ancestry. 
I was convinced of this. So I grew up like in kindergarten and in preschool, and you had to like make the flags from where you're from and, and, you know, Germany all the way. And, and then it grew a little bit older and you had to write papers, you know, about the country and you study where your ancestors came from. Germany all the way. You know what I mean? We, um, I, we, we'd be, I'd be with my friends and we'd be drinking like a fine German lager. And I would need, feel the need to share with them. This was probably handcrafted by my ancestors. So <laughs> you're welcome, you know. And we went to Epcot. We, Disney World was like part of our childhood. We go to Epcot, and there's like, you know, around the lake, you have all the little countries. And I would just feel the need to linger in Germany, you know. Just breathe deep. Like, these are my people, you know. <laughs> well, two years ago, literally, post-Mosaic, like after starting the church, I was moving my office, and I came across this file. And in the file was this document that my grandpa had put together for me for a school project. But he didn't get it to me in time. So, you know, I just made stuff up about Germany and wrote the paper. But it was in this file, and I started to read it, and come to find out, I'm not German at all. Like, we're totally French, like all the way. You know, like my last name, Loy, used to be Louis. You don't get any more French than Louis, you know. And in retrospect, I should have known it. You know, like I'm skinny, I'm hairy, I'm like red wine, good cheese, I wear berets, and any time a fight presents itself, I tend to surrender. So, you know, I should have, I should have known, you know. But uh, turns out I'm German. Uh, not German, French. Uh, for the record, I do still like bratwurst and sauerkraut. I just feel conflicted inside as a result. But, but you know, all that to say, like, I thought I was, I thought I was one person, and it turns out all along, like, I, I wasn't. I, I was actually a very different person. I was French. Now, I share that because just the fact that I didn't realize it, did it make me any less French? No. Right? Did, did it make me any more German to think I was German? No. Right? I just didn't realize who I was yet. Right? And I realize that doesn't like, affect my personal life in a huge way, so I'll give you a better illustration. And this is a, totally, this is a true story. All right, we've got a, a friends of our family. This guy's a youth pastor, and if you know anything about youth pastors, youth pastors don't make a lot of money. They're crazy. They, they make nothing to love on teenagers and introduce them to Jesus. They're a strange breed. I love them. But this guy's a youth pastor, and so you know, youth pastors, he's kind of like lower middle class. They don't make a lot of money. just kind of scrape by, but they love what they do. And part of his job is to take these teenagers over, um, you know, overseas on short-term mission trips. And he was going to Europe for a particular trip, and he thought it would be really neat to go to this particular country and this particular village that he knew his wife's family is kind of hailed from. And there's a lot of kind of mystery around, around the past of their family. Like her, her mom, or his wife, didn't know a lot beyond her father. He didn't talk a lot about it. All she knew is that they were from this particular village. And so he thought it would be really cool to go and find out anything he could about her family, you know, bring back a family crest or, you know, something like that. So, so he travels to Europe and he goes to this particular village and he goes to where the city records are, are kept. And he, 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 there's a lady at the desk and he says, hey, you know, my wife is from this village and I would just love to learn anything I can, anything you've got about her particular family um, and so I can bring it back to her. It would just be such a cool gift. And she said, sure, what, what's the last name? And so he shared the last name, and she just gets this look on her face. She's like, come again? And he says, yeah, this is her last name. She said, spell that for me. And he spelled it. She said, are you sure? He's like, yes. She said, hold on a minute. And she disappears to the back, comes back out with a very serious gentleman. And he says, you need to tell me exactly what you just told her. And so he tells the whole thing again. This is where she's from. I, I just want to know about the family. This is the last name. He said, that's impossible. That can't be her last name. He said, no, I, I promise you, this is her last name. He said, that family was killed. They were all killed by the Nazi regime in World War II. They were wiped out entirely. Uh, she can't be. 
um, from that lineage. And he said, he said, no, I understand. He said, the one thing I do know about their family is her grandparents um, were, were killed uh, by the Nazi regime. And so were a lot of her brothers and sisters. Uh, or, but her dad managed to escape eventually to Canada and then eventually made his way to the United States and was a farmer in Kansas and raised his family. And that's, that's all I know. And so he said, can you wait here for a couple hours? He said, sure. So they locked him in a room. He couldn't even leave the room. And come back, and there is a group of people, very serious people, and they just start to drill him with questions. And he gets through telling the whole thing again, and the gal from, who is sitting at the front desk turns to him and said, I'm sorry we sold your castle. Right? Come. I know, this sounds like a bad Disney movie, but this is a true story, I promise. Come to find out, Right, she is royalty. Right, and when the Nazi regime took over this particular country, they killed the royal family. Mom and dad killed them in their home, took the kids out into the woods. They never found the bodies, and they just assumed that they all got wiped out. So they flew the wife over, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And they said, we're sorry, we sold your castle. It's okay, you do have 11 more. And... <laughs> And they start to talk very seriously about how do we transition you because you are royalty, technically the reigning king and queen. And you have a number of acreages. You have, I think it's 11 castles and a priceless art collection that we've been hanging on to. Right? Now, in typical youth pastor form, this guy starts joking around. You know what I mean? Like, this is ridiculous. It can't be true. Right? This is kind of like Tangled. Kind of a lot like Tangled. And... It's true, and, and he makes a joke, and the translator stops him, and he says, you've got to understand something. This nation was devastated by the Nazi regime in World War II, and these people thought they lost a very big part of their lineage and heritage, and you represent all that's left, and we thought it was all gone. And so this is an incredibly serious matter. You represent not just the hope of this people, but the dignity of this people. And so you need to learn really quick who you are and how to live into that because it's not a joke, right? And you see where I'm going with this. I share this because I cannot possibly think of a better illustration for who you are in Christ because you have to understand that the moment that you bended the knee to Jesus and acknowledged him as Lord and King, you became fundamentally different in the eyes of God. Your identity changed, and you will never be the same again. You have to realize, whether you realize it or not, that you are royalty. You are, if you are in Christ, the adopted daughter. You are the adopted son of the Most High King, and you have an incredible inheritance at your fingertips that has nothing to do with anything that you've done to earn that. It is simply because of who you are. You see, when God looks at you, he doesn't see the same thing that you and I look at when we see in the mirror. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, if you are in Christ, what God sees is he sees Jesus. Right? God looks at you and he sees Jesus' obedience. He sees Jesus' sacrifice. He looks at you and he sees Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' holiness, Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection. You have been fundamentally changed and you will never, ever ever be the same again? And why in the world would you ever want to be? Why would you ever want to go back to who you were, back to the past? Let it be what it is, who you were, not who you are, right? Something that God is using and will use to continue to make you into a new person, someone who is living into your 
new identity. You see, our, our friends of our family, uh, he and she still, like, screw up with the whole, like, royalty thing. Right? And they still have moments where they act in ways that are very unbecoming of king and queen. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're, they're, but they're learning, and they're adjusting, and they're growing. Right? But in those moments, are they any less royalty? Nope. Right? It is simply who they are, and they're learning to live into that. Right? If you're in Christ, you are exactly in the same boat. Right? When you're going to have moments when you act in a way that is very unbecoming of somebody who has made new. That doesn't make you any less new. Right? The great adventure for you and me moving forward is learning to live into this new identity that you have been given. And, so, and you need to know this. This is so important because you've got to understand, if you were here last week, the lies, they're going to keep on coming. Right? And when you're alone in the dark, right, or you run into somebody who doesn't love you well, or that voice in your head is going to keep telling you, you're not new. You're old. You're jacked up. You're a sinner. You're a poser. You're a fake. This isn't describing you. Right? God doesn't love you like that. You're not new like that. That's not you. Right? And, and, and in those moments when that happens, you need to take that thought by the throat and choke slam it in the name of Jesus. All right? Because your pastor told you so, and because God says that is who you are. Right? You're not who you used to be. Right? You got to do what, God, what, what, what Paul talks about just a few chapters later. Same audience, same letter, 2 Corinthians 10.5. This is what he says. He says, when that happens, right? This is what we do. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And what do we do? If you're taking notes, we take captive every thought. Right? We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Right? And so when the lies come and that whisper in your head tells you this is not who you are, right? you take that thought and you put it in a submission hold until it taps out. Because God says, that is not true. That is a lie. And you need, to, you need to recognize it as such. You need to take that lie and replace it with the truth of what God says you are. This is part of what Paul is referring to when he says, like, you need to be, let your mind be renewed by God. Because we've got to let God tell us who we are. Everything else uh, is, is a lie. Right? When the lies come, we've got to remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. One more time. Therefore, there is now not some condemnation. There is now just a little bit of condemnation. There is now condemnation that's proportionate to your obedience or lack thereof. It says, no, no, no. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? And so when those lies come, you've got to just let God perform open-heart surgery. Take that thought, choke slam it, and you say, no, 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 that is not who I am. I am who God says I am. I have a new birth, a new Lord, a new heart, a new mind, new power, new freedom, new life. I'm a new creation with a new identity. I am new. Now, I feel like I'm preaching better than I'm getting a response, all right? I need you to be a little less, how do I say, white, if you can, right? Respond, right? Why? Because you are not who God says you are. You are not what someone else said you were. Right? You are not your past. You are not what you did. Right? You are who God says you are. And God says you're not the same anymore. If you're in Christ, you're new. Let me pray for you. Lord God, in this moment, I know that Many of us have our own poison, our own lies that we are more susceptible to believing than others. 
And there are some lies about who we are that some of us have believed for a very long time. And Lord God, I ask right now as we come before you in worship, as we quiet ourselves, as we respond to you, Lord, that even now that you would be giving us fresh vision to see those lies that we have bought into that simply are not true. Lord God, I ask that you would give us the discernment and the courage to recognize those things that are not true and replace them with what you have said about us, about who we really are, a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, that's us. We're not the same anymore. We're fundamentally different. We're not German, we're French. It's always been that way, whether we realize it or not. We're new, we're in you, we're different. That when you look at us, you don't see the low moments if we're in you. Right, that if we've accepted your gift of grace and we've bent the knee to you, that we are, we are not who we were in our, in our lowest moments, in our failures, in our doubts, right, in, in our false starts. That's not who we are anymore. That when you look at us, you see Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, his holiness, his sacrifice, his obedience, his righteousness. It's ours now. Not as a result of anything that we have done, because of what you have done because that is who we are and Lord God I pray for those who are in this room right now those who are watching online or listening through the app and Lord they're not in you yet and maybe they want to believe that this could be true but they just don't yet and I just thank you for the process that you have them in right now And Lord God, I ask that in this moment, or maybe tonight as they lie in bed, or as they're driving, Lord, that you would speak to them in that still small voice and help them see that a new life is possible, that forgiveness is possible, that grace is available through you, that they don't have to be who they once were, that you offer new life, a new identity that can only be found in you. So Lord God, I pray for them. And for those of us who are in you, we just thank you for your grace. What else can we do but sing and dance? And so, Lord, we come before you now as your people. And all God's people said, amen.